Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 5 of the Book of Hebrews, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. This fifth installment covers chapters 5 through 7 and continues with the theme that Jesus is better than a Jewish high priest that we discussed in chapter 4. Remember that the book of Hebrews was probably written around 68 AD to Jewish Christians, and the theme of the entire book is Jesus is greater. We're not sure who the author was, but it could have been the Apostle Paul or perhaps Apollos. So far, we have learned that Jesus is better than the angels because he is God. Then in chapter 2, he's better than the angels because he was made man and can identify with us and yet was without sin. Then in chapter 3, Jesus is better than Moses, revered for giving the law to the Jews. Then finally in chapter 4, as I said before, better than a Jewish high priest. This chapter 5 is quite the steak dinner. It's not the milk of the word, but it is so beautiful and so nourishing to the spirit. So we begin in verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for those of the people. As the Jewish believers were reading this or hearing it, immediately pictured the Jewish high priest they were so familiar with. He was wearing the breastplate that had the 12 gemstones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He was wearing an ephod and a robe and a woven tunic and a turban and a sash. Each of those articles of clothing, which were specially designed according to the instructions in the book of Exodus that Moses received on Mount Sinai, represented in some way that special mediator between God and man. And we read in Exodus 28 verse 1, Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites along with his sons. That's what God said to Moses. He goes on later in that chapter, so that they may serve me as priests. And then finally, in chapter 29, he says, The priesthood is theirs, meaning to the descendants of Aaron, his brother, from the tribe of Levi, by a lasting ordinance. In this way, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And in fact, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 8, we read about that great ordination out in the wilderness in between Egypt and the land of Canaan after the Israelites had been set free from slavery and crossed the Red Sea. And after Moses came down with these instructions for the priesthood and the tent tabernacle in the wilderness, All of those instructions were implemented, and there was this great ceremony where Aaron was dressed in the priestly robes and oil was poured on his head. 
And then in Leviticus 16, chapter 11, we get some of the instructions about what Aaron is actually supposed to do when he offers the sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of Israel. It says, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering because the priests were human beings and they weren't perfect. And then you skip down to verse 14 of Leviticus 11, and it says, He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. So this is in the Holy of Holies of that portable tent tabernacle in the wilderness, right there where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was a wood box covered with gold that had a solid gold lid with two cherubim that are leaning over the middle of it. And on that gold mercy seat was to be spread or sprinkled this blood. Then we get to Leviticus 16, 15, and 16, the next two verses. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So that's the background against which this chapter 5 about Jesus being better than a high priest is brought to us. So we continue on in Hebrews 5 verse 4. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, and now he's getting ready to quote from two prophecies in Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. But God said to him, quote, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now we're in verse 6, and he says in another place, quoting from Psalm 110, quote, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, this Melchizedek was a very curious and interesting figure in the Old Testament. We read about him in Genesis 14. It was about 1900 B.C. or so, near ancient Jerusalem. Abram, who had not yet been renamed Abraham by God, had put together a band of military men from his own household because he was so rich that he was able to come up with 300 men of military age that were able to fight from his own employees and servants because his nephew Lot, along with some other people from the city of Sodom and some of the surrounding cities, had been taken captive in a war. So Abram went up there around northern Israel where the land of Dan is, and he was able to conquer and defeat those people that had taken Lot captive. And he was on his way back down south toward where he was living at the time, which would be Mamre. And as he went past the old city of Salem, which later became Jerusalem, city of Salem, the city of peace, he encounters this curious figure named Melchizedek. 
So we read about him in Genesis 14 for background against this mention of him in Hebrews 5. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Interesting and curious. A priest of God Most High? There's no church yet. There's no Bible or law yet. There's no Jewish nation yet. And yet, this man is serving God. And Abram knows it. And Abram so reverences this man that he is able to receive a blessing from him and then give a tenth of all of his vast wealth. There was no law about tithing in those days. So then we go back to those two prophecies in Psalms that I just referenced in Hebrews 5. We read there in Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. This is God speaking through King David prophetically about the Messiah. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Then we go to that other prophecy in Psalm 110 that references Melchizedek. And again, we're talking also about Jesus. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, and then 4. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the first thing that we wonder is why does it say in the order of Melchizedek, this curious person that only showed up in Genesis 14 briefly with Abram, instead of saying you are a priest forever in the order of Aaron, Moses' brother, who was the high priest of Israel. So it goes on in Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Well, you remember how Jesus prayed and pleaded with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And he finally got to the point during that awful prayer where he was able to say, Not my will, but thine be done. And the dread of going to the cross was replaced with peace, and he went forward. Verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Then verse 10, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We come then to chapter 6, and it takes a little different turn and talks about some other things till it gets to the end. But we are combining the part of chapter 6 that talks about Melchizedek 
with chapter 5 and then 7? So come with me to Hebrews 6.19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How interesting. He's talking about this inner place behind the curtain because he's referring to that tent tabernacle in the wilderness and then later to the permanent structure that was Solomon's temple where that holy place was with the Ark of the Covenant and the priests were instructed in the law to put the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. So that's what the descendants of Aaron did through the generations. But in verse 20 here, we're reading that Jesus has gone behind that curtain to offer blood for our sins, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Once again, saying Melchizedek instead of Aaron. For this Melchizedek, it goes on in Hebrews 7, verse 1, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. That's what I was referring to when I read that passage in Genesis 14. And blessed him, and to him Abram apportioned a tenth part of everything. You know, he tithed. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Now that's interesting. Melchizedek, Malki Tzedek, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but the name literally means in Hebrew, king of right, or king of righteousness. So back again, verse 2, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace, because the city of Salem, by name, is, is the city of peace. Later it became Jeru-Salem, Jerusalem. Verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. What? How could Melchizedek have been a man that was without father or mother or genealogy? Well, it may just mean that his lineage wasn't recorded. But because it wasn't recorded or known, and we don't have record of the end of his life, he comes to be a symbol of Christ. Or perhaps he was a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ, come down to earth for a short time to meet with Abram. But we move on, and you can see how Jesus is much more like Melchizedek than a priest from the lineage of Aaron. Melchizedek was king of righteousness. Well, Jesus was described as the righteous one in 1 John 2.1. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, that sounds like a mediator or a priest, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then the second thing, Melchizedek is referred to as the king of peace because Salem was the city of peace. Doesn't that sound like a familiar prophecy in Isaiah 9-6 that you hear every Christmas at church? 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then third on the list, Melchizedek had no recorded father or mother. Matthew 1.20, Joseph, son of David. This was coming from the angel that appeared to Joseph in a dream. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, he had no earthly biological father. And then fourth, the fourth thing about Melchizedek, after first he was king of righteousness, second he was king of peace, third he had no recorded father or mother. Each of those things are like Jesus. Then the fourth thing, he had no recorded beginning or end. You remember what Jesus told his detractors in John 8:58. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he is equating himself with the eternally existent one. I am means I eternally exist. Past, present, and future. Another thing that we have to remember about the old law to tie in with what we're getting ready to read in Hebrews 7, Numbers 18.21 says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. Now keep that in mind as we continue on in Hebrews 7, verse 5. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law, that's what I just read, to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. And so you recall that the tribe of Levi and the priests within that tribe that came directly from the line of Aaron were all supported by the tithes from the other tribes. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Remember that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. That was the kingly line, not the priestly line. So we continue the rest of verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And so again, we go back to Genesis 14, and we see this picture of Abram bowing before Melchizedek and giving him tithes because he was in the position of this symbolic Christ figure. And then we remember that Abraham's grandson, Levi, ended up having a descendant named Aaron who became the first of the high priests. And so all of those generations were still within the body of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes. 
And the writer of the Hebrews is making the point then that Melchizedek and his priesthood actually has more gravity than the Aaronic priesthood. We continue on in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. There again he means Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. We continue. For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. And now he's getting ready to refer once again to that marvelous prophecy in Psalm 110, verse 17, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That should excite the heart of every person who has ever called on Jesus to be their mediator. And if you haven't called on him, you can. You can ask him to make a way for you to come to God by covering your sins with his precious blood. Bottom line, as our high priest, Jesus presents a sacrifice to God for sin and blessings from God to us, just like Melchizedek blessed Abram. Jesus is the author of a better covenant between God and man than the law. Praise his holy, holy name. If this podcast has been a help to you, please pass it along.